0: This morning, we're going to continue on in our sermon series on the Sermon on the Mount. And today, we're going to be talking about salt and light. And Jesus tells us that you are the salt of the earth and you are the light of the world. I want to say good morning and welcome to the Mission Viejo Church of Christ. What a great day to be in the house of the Lord. Amen. If you're visiting with us for the first time, we want to let you know that you are our honored guest And you're always welcome to this church whenever the doors are open. And I say this every single Sunday, we believe you've come to the right place because I don't think you'll find a finer church in all of Mission Viejo. Say amen if you can. Amen. Well, thank you, Brother Ed, for leading us in our worship this morning. Those songs that you've selected were so fitting Thank you, Brother Skeeter, for that wonderful communion thought. And for all of you who are able to come and attend our Bible class this morning, and for those of you that are teaching, we appreciate you and everyone behind the scenes that makes this place so special. We want to thank you so much for all the work that you do. Like I said, uh, Sermon on the Mount. We're working our way through this series of lessons, and the Sermon on the Mount is the greatest gospel sermon that has ever been preached, and it is life-changing. It changed the very course of the world as we know it, uh, just because of what Jesus said in three three chapters. And we're examining Matthew's account of the Sermon on the Mount, which is found in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. So if you have your Bibles this morning, I invite you to follow along, open them up. And I want you to do me a favor this morning. If you have a physical copy of your Bible, go ahead and turn to the Maps Section this morning, and I want to want you to look at the Sea of Galilee in Jesus' ministry. You probably have that somewhere, just keep your finger on that, that'll give you some reference today as we discuss um, what it means to be salt and light. So, last week we uh, spent our time discussing the Beatitudes, and in the Beatitudes, Jesus tells us and communicates to us how that we can have a blessed. Life. If we follow some of his principles and his teaching, all of his principles and teachings that he he discusses. So that was that was last week. We studied the Beatitudes, uh, and we gave you some principles on how to live a blessed life. And today, in part two, uh, I want to talk about Jesus's words and what he meant when he says that we are supposed to be the salt of the earth and the light of the world. So if you're looking at the back of your maps, you'll see the Sea of Galilee and you'll see the Salt Sea or the Dead Sea, and hopefully you'll see. Uh, a different couple of notes on where Jesus' uh, ministries took place in that region. So just keep your finger on that. And like I said, I'll give you a reference. Uh, so the story goes that there was a new bride, a new bride, right? And she cooked her very first meal for her new husband. And she said to her husband, uh, My mother taught me to cook, right? She gave me all these skills and, I, and, I, and she taught me how to cook. And, and I can't wait to cook for you. So she cooked her first meal and she said, I know how to cook two things very well the first being apple pie and the second meatloaf so the husband took a bite of his dinner and he said honey now which one is this right? it's ter- it's ter- terrible terrible i know let it marinate for a minute just give me a hearty heart okay terrible terrible joke um have you ever had food that just wasn't that great before <laughs> my wife is such a great cook that i don't ever have to worry about that right hope you cook for me tomorrow. My- amen um, but anyway you ever had food that just wasn't good? It was, it was bland, it was unappealing, and, and what you do is you take salt and you place it on that food to make it more desirable, to make it taste better. I think Dorothy had that experience, right, just recently, right? To make it taste better. There's something about salt that, that lets us know that whatever we're eating, it's going to be okay. Uh, And then the scripture says we are called to be lights. And the good thing about light is that it removes darkness, right? Light makes us feel safe. It makes us feel good. It gives us the ability to see clearly. Light gives us hope, if you think about it. And that's what the video communicated this morning. And like I said, Jesus calls us both light and salt. Salt to a bland world and light to a dark world. Bland in the sense that there are many people living around us today that have no purpose. They have no purpose. They don't understand their purpose. And dark in the sense that many of those same people have been blinded by the trickery of Satan. So this morning, let's examine together what it means to be salt and light. And Mike, you don't have to change any slides yet. Just follow along with me as I read this scripture. Matthew chapter 5. And I'm actually going to read verses 13 through 20. So you guys follow along with me in your Bibles. Mike, don't change the slides. We'll just read this together. It says here, verse 13 You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty? Again, it is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house in the same way. Let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. Verse 17, do not think that I have come to abolish the law of the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Anyone who breaks one of these least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commandments will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven." The Sermon on the Mount, if you didn't know, is the longest piece of literature that we have of the words of Jesus. And this sermon contains the very tenets of the Christian faith. So if you wanted to sum up what Christianity is all about in a nutshell, you can really turn to the Sermon on the Mount and really figure out how we're supposed to live, how we're called to live, what this Jesus character is all about. The tenets, the very tenets of our faith are really found in chapters 5, 6 and 7 of the book of Matthew. The Sermon on the Mount is powerful. And what's so interesting about the Sermon on the Mount is is this big piece of literature, but we really don't know too much about the early life of Jesus up until that point. So that's why I had you open up your maps in the back and kind of try to follow Jesus's ministry uh, because we just don't know much about his life, but we know about his ministry. He started at age 30, ended about age 33 or so. But in the beginning of Jesus's life, we know that he was born in, in Bethlehem, right? And he was trained by his father. His father's occupation was a carpenter. And the scripture says that Jesus was without sin. So I had this conversation with my kids this morning. I said, children, do you ever think Jesus disobeyed his parents, right? And they said, certainly not, Father. And I said, well, you shouldn't either. Amen. No. (laughs) But we don't have much about the early life of Jesus. I wonder if he got frustrated with his parents from time to time, right? His father tells us, go sweep up the wood carvings, right? And no, dad, I don't want to do it. We just don't know. But we know he was born in Bethlehem. His father was a carpenter. And at age 10, he went with his family into Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. And you remember the story there, right? He decided to stay behind, and he didn't tell his parents. And his parents found him in the temple having a theological discussion, right? Having a Bible study. And that's what we know about age 12. And then there's this huge gap, really, between ages 12 and and 30. And the Bible's kind of silent on the early life of Jesus Christ. But then he appears again. And remember, he was baptized by John the Baptist. And then he went on to conduct various ministries. He was healing the sick. Uh, He went and preached in the temple. And then we get to chapter five of the book of Matthew, and we see his Sermon on the Mount. And if you're looking at your maps right now, you know that the location of the Sermon on the Mount was on the north side of the Sea of Galilee, really the northwest side of the Sea of Galilee, and thousands of people gathered there to hear him speak, and he used very practical illustrations like salt and light. Salt and light. Might go to the second slide, if you will. You know, a popular, a popular occupation for many of Jesus' followers were, were fishermen, if you think about it. Uh, but in that time, what I want you to know is that there were no whirlpool refrigeration systems. There were no LG refrigeration systems or whatever ever, ever else you have. They, they used salt to preserve the fish. And that's why he says in verse number 13, very practically, you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty? Again, this is something that they really understood. They understood this concept well of what it meant to be salt. They used salt to preserve fish. And I tell you what, the Sea of Galilee was on the north side, but the Dead Sea was south of them. And the Dead Sea, or the Salt Sea, was a very, very popular location. And you know that rock salt was used from that area. And today it's very costly if you try to get some some rock salt from that area. But what's interesting about how salt is formed, as I'm doing my little research, uh, is that typically the way salt is formed is it it evaporates from a, a, a body of salty water, and then it collects around rocks, right? And then from those rocks, you can go and get the salt. And what's interesting about salt is that in order for it to be formed a lot of times, it has to be connected to the rock, right? Because if it's not connected to the rock, it won't become salty. If we want to be salty in this bland, purposeless world, we have to stay connected to the rock And the scripture tells us that the rock is Jesus Christ, amen? Jesus Christ is the rock. And the question that we need to be asking ourselves this morning, and and I really kind of want to flesh this out together. In your bulletin, you'll have a sermon outline. You can take that out. One of the questions I have for you is, what are the four properties of salt, right? Have you ever thought about what salt does? In order for us to make sense of Jesus's words, what does salt do? What is it designed to do? I've got four points for your learning. Go ahead and write these down in your your sermon outline uh, this morning. First of all, we know that salt seasons. Point number one, right? Anybody understands that. Anybody can understand that, and know that. Uh, point number two, salt preserves. It preserves. We mentioned that a little bit. Point number three is salt heals. And then lastly, here's an interesting. You know, salt irritates a little bit, doesn't it? Right. So four properties of salt. And if you're a scientist this morning, just hang with my science, okay? Just, just bear with me. Some of you are going like, that's not right. <laughs> just, just hang with me. Four properties of salt. Salt seasons. So what does that mean? When Jesus calls us to be salt. He wants us to be able to season people's lives. Lives can be bland and purposeless many of you do this same routine every single morning you wake up first thing you do is you go get your cup of coffee right have your cup of coffee you eat your breakfast, you go take your shower, you get ready in the morning, you hop in the car, you listen to the same radio station on the way to work, you take the same route to work every single day, you get to work, that same person always talks to you, That you, you anyway, you go to work, you're there at that cubicle, your boss says the same thing, same routine over and over again, you get your 30-minute lunch break or whatever it is, you eat the same Subway sandwich every single day, right, or whatever it is, right, it's about 4 30, you're watching the clock, you want to get off at 5, and then you're stuck in traffic, you go home, hopefully you hang out with your family a little bit, watch the same television show, and you go to bed, and it starts all over again, over and over and over, right? And for those people who live without Christ, I go, how can you live in this life doing that same routine over and over and over again. Life must be so bland and purposeless to you if you don't have Jesus, but we do the same routine over and over again. You know that Christians should have a zeal like none other for this life, a passion, a purpose. Christians should be the most zealous people that you ever want to meet, the most ever. We should have a spunk about us, if that's the right word, a zeal about us, a passion about us, an excitement about us that is matched by none other. So when we go to work, it's different for us because we say, hey, this is not just a routine, but we're on mission at work today. We're on mission at school today. We're on mission in this capacity, in that capacity. We, We have a zeal about us. We have a purpose that is much greater than ourselves. We're on a mission to seek and save the lost we're on a mission to love, we're on a mission to serve, we're on a mission to give hope, we're on a mission to try to help people realize that they have a purpose in this life and their purpose comes from the Lord. It's powerful. So that's why Jesus says, hey, I want you to be the salt of the earth. Help people understand their purpose. Make life zealous, right? Be on mission. So that's what he meant when he called us the salt of the earth. What else? Well, salt preserves. I uh, want to make this clear. Did you know that the world is going to end? Right? Okay. At some point, our lives are going to end too. The world is going to end. Our lives are going to end. And people who do not accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, I'm going to say it, are going to hell. Is, that's kind of strong, isn't it, right? Can I say that from the pulpit? Yes, I can. People who do not accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior are going to go to hell and the question is what is hell right there's been a lot of commentaries a lot of uh, writings on what hell is like but I can tell you what hell is hell is complete and utter separation from God and the ones that you love and I tell you what I don't think people are really afraid of hell anymore that's just my, my interpretation I think when you talk about hell people go well you know could be true could not I'm not really too worried about it right All Right because my life is a living hell right now the things that I'm going through so so people don't really understand or aren't afraid of that concept of hell it's just this thought that you know whatever we're all going to heaven we're all good right but that's not what the scripture says there is a heaven there is a hell and people who don't accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior are going to hell and people are convinced also that sin isn't sin anymore you notice that as well there is no hell and sin is not sin anymore sin is subjective What you call sin is not what I call sin, right? That's just what we do. So if there is no hell, there is no heaven, there is no sin, what are we to do? We have a tough job in front of us today, church. We're trying to save people from the grasp and the clutches of Satan and people who don't believe in sin and hell. So how do we do that? But we know this to be the case. You guys have read the story of the rich man and Lazarus in Scripture, right? The rich man all his life got great things, didn't he? He lived in the the finest houses, had the finest food, had the finest clothing, and there was a poor man that was laid before him, and he saw him every single day. The rich man perished, and Lazarus perished as well. The rich man went to a place, and Lazarus went to a different place. And the rich man said, hey, I'm in torment where I am right now, right? Please send Lazarus. Please send someone to my family, my brothers, to to warn them about what's going to come. Christians, that's what we're called to do, to warn the world. Look, this this place is going to end, right? We should have a sense of urgency about us. That's what it means to be the salt of the earth, right? Provide season, uh, to preserve, and to heal. Point number three. Many people in the world are hurting. If you don't believe it, turn on the television, watch TV for a little bit. That's all I see on the news. Tragedy, how people are hurting, what's going on in the world. There's difficulties, right? People in the world are hurting. There are poor widows and orphans all over the place. And that's why Jesus, or that's why the uh, scripture says by the apostle, look, look, pure religion and undefiled before God is this, James, to look after the fatherless, and the orphans, right? Pure religion, undefiled, right? That's what God wants, to look after hurting people. There are people who are sick, who have suffered loss, who are dealing with cancer. And if we're going to be the salt of the world or the earth, it's our job to help people who are hurting with wounds. And like I said, there's people all over us that are struggling, that are hurting, that are having difficulties in their life. And if we're going to be the salt of the earth, like Jesus said, we have to make sure that we do our best to try to heal. And that's what Jesus meant by being the salt of the earth. Where are they hurting people? It's our job to be in their lives. You remember the story of the Good Samaritan, right? Scripture says there was a person who had fallen on some bad luck. He'd fallen into the hands of robbers. He was beaten. He had a difficult time, right? Didn't have any money, had sores. He, He was having a hard time. There was a priest that saw this guy. And the scripture says he walked on by the other side. But then there was a Levite. He came, did the same thing, walked on by the other side. You see, the religious folk walked on by the other side while somebody was hurting. And I wonder if the priest was saying, I'm late to Bible class, I got to get there. Late to worship, I don't have time, right? I got somewhere to be. But the scripture says there was a Samaritan that stopped and took care of this person. If we're going to be the salt of the earth, we have to heal hurting people. Do our best to do that. And then lastly, here's one. Another property of salt is that it irritates. Have you ever scraped your knee or cut your finger on something and then went to Salt Creek Beach? Or is that just me? Oh, yeah, yeah, raise your hand, yeah. Have you ever done that? You hurt yourself, skin yourself, you didn't know, and then you go out into the ocean and you're like, ah, what's going on, right? Something's irritating me. It, it hurts. And you know, evil people don't want to hear the truth because it hurts. People living a lifestyle of sin don't want to hear the truth because it hurts. If I say some people are going to hell, they go, wait a minute, that's not right. Or if I say your lifestyle is sin, they say that's not right. Salt irritates people, right? Remember what Jesus said, I didn't come to bring peace, Right? So when Jesus says you are the salt of the earth, realize that sometimes you're going to get on people's nerves by what you have to say. (laughs) And I know that people will avoid, they will do anything to avoid the pain of knowing that they're living in sin. They'll do anything to avoid that pain. So what they tend to do is point the finger at God, point the finger at religion, point the finger at Christian people. You guys are the problem, not us. And the reason you guys are the problem is because you're just judging us. But you know, Jesus was an irritant throughout his entire ministry, if you think about it, right? They couldn't stand what Jesus was doing, insomuch that they decided to put him to death. They can't stand it. So if you're going to be the salt of the earth, realize that you are an irritant. That's how people view you, sorry, right? So um, as you know, I'm I'm a chaplain in the army, and what's so lovely about being a chaplain around soldiers is that sometimes soldiers... Uh, their moral compass can be off just a little bit, right? So I've been in situations where I've seen my soldiers, I'm a battalion chaplain over 500, right? My soldiers involved in some silliness. Might be some lasciviousness, it might be some drugs, might be some alcohol, so forth or so on. And it's my job to be in and around soldiers. So I may see a group of soldiers doing some stuff they shouldn't do. And when the chaplain shows up, with that big cross on his chest and on his hat, you know what I hear all the time? <sighs> there goes the chaplain, right? There he goes, right? And when I show up, all of a sudden, their, their language changes. They stop talking about what they're talking about, and I just wait there. So how's it going? Good, good. They <laughs> try to be good. I still am. You know, how's it going? Good. Anything going on today? How can I help? Uh, chaplain, we're, we're good. Well, great, great. And I continue to stand there, right? I'm just an irritant. They can't stand it. They can't stand it. But if you're going to be the salt of the earth, realize that you're going to be an irritant. And that's why Christianity is not for the faint of heart. You've got to be strong. You've got to be tough and realize that's how you're going to be viewed. And Jesus calls us to be the salt of the earth. Salt season, salt preserves, salt heals, and salt irritates. But then he goes on to verse number 14, and he says this as well. He says, you are the light of the world. The city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house, right? And then we get to the next passage. Uh, in the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. Now, I don't need to spend too much time on talking about what it means to be the light of the world. Uh, We actually talked about this principle and this concept um, before Christmas. And we had a sermon uh, entitled, Jesus, Light of the World. And we talked about some of these principles on what it means to be light of the world. And some of the things that we wrote down is, look, uh, realize that everybody has dark days. Everybody doubts. And everybody gets depressed. So as lights of the world, we're called to deal with some of these issues. We're called to be lights on a mission to get rid of darkness in the lives of people. And that's what it means to be the light of the world. I want to end um, this morning with looking at, at Matthew chapter 5 and verse number 20. I've got a couple of more points for you and then the message will be yours this morning. But Matthew chapter 5 and verse number 20 is, is a passage that kind of bothers me just a little bit sometimes, right? Uh, it says, "For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven." Now, I don't know when I think about the Jewish system, the religious system of the Jews back in this time period, they were they were very devout with their religion, right? They they they, they were very devout, right? And I'm going, man, I, you know, I hope I can. I can meet this, but as I begin to process this passage of Scripture and really see what Jesus was saying here, I think the first thing that we need to realize and think about is when Jesus was doing his ministry, these people that he encountered, the the scribes, the teacher of the law, the Sanhedrin, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, their problem was is that they loved religion because it was just so self-focused. You see, their religion had become about them, all about them, Right? And I think we might be living in similar times just a little bit where our religion becomes all about us, right? That message just didn't hit me. That praise team, it just didn't do it for me, right? It didn't do it for me where it becomes about us just a little bit. And the problem of these people groups, these religious folk of the day that Jesus encountered, is that uh, their religion was about elevating themselves to positions of greatness in society, and that's why he would say, you know, the religious people of the day, they love the best seats in the house. They love to be walking through the market, and people are calling them rabbi and teacher, and, right? So Jesus was combating all of this, and he said, look, they want to be important in the world's eyes. Their hearts were so hardened that they would go to the temple, hear the message, and do nothing to help their fellow man. And what they love to do is sit in judgment of them. In church, that's really easy to do. It's really easy to go to church, hear a message, do nothing, and judge the world. That's really easy to do. But when Jesus said this, he's saying, look, I don't want you to do that. Your righteousness must surpass that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, or you will certainly not enter into the kingdom. You know, I realize that I have some Pharisee tendencies within my life from time to time. I realize that. And I hope and pray that all of us would say the same thing. Sometimes we can do that if we're not careful. Sometimes we can go to church and hear a message and do nothing with it. So we've got to be careful about that from time to time. And Jesus says, look, here's what I want you to do. I want you to surpass the righteousness. So the question is, how do we do that? Jesus came to give hope and life to those hurting in the world. He came to be the salt and the light. So the question is, as you look at your outline as we close this morning, how can we learn to become more salty and more shiny it's a good one right practical application this week jesus calls us to do these things and to be this well how can we do that so that we don't look like these teachers of the law the pharisees the sadducees we've got to be careful right and here's what jesus kind of communicates to us throughout scripture one of the ways that we can become salty and shiny this week as we kind of think through these principles this week number one is we can learn to be more generous generosity is life-changing you know we had an activity on wednesday night for those of you who were able to come out of wednesday night bible class and i posed a question to those in class and i said who was the most generous person that you ever met and right now i'm going to ask you that same question think in your mind who's the most generous person that you have ever met personally not right not somebody you read about in the news who's the most generous person that you've ever met i dare you to think about that person and not have a smile on your face you can't do it, can you? Because probably the ge- most generous person that you ever met has changed your life in drastic ways, haven't they? There's something about generosity that helps change people's lives. And the Scripture communicates to me as Christians, we should be the most generous people in the world. And that's why it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully, for God loves a cheerful giver. So if we're going to be salt and light to the world, we have to be the most generous people that you ever want to meet. And sometimes generosity is hard, isn't it? Because you've all had experiences where you've given to somebody and you've seen your, your offering being taken advantage of or being used in the wrong way. But Scripture tells us that whenever you give, you're not doing it really for that person. You're doing it for the Lord. By your giving, you're saying, thank you, God, for all you've done in my life. I can't help but to give because I love you so much. I'm not, I'm not concerned if this person uses it this way or uses it that wrong way. I, I just love you, Lord. So here's my offering. And if we want to change the world, we have to be generous people. And I think we have a generous church here. We do. And guess what? We can do even more. I've heard of a church that uh, is doing a ministry called the, uh, the Dollar Club, and I mentioned this on Wednesday night. Uh, so what they have is they, uh, a couple times a, a, a month, they have this campaign where the members who give their contribution that day give $1 more than what they usually give. Just $1 more, right? And then you take that $1 and you multiply it by the amount of people that are in the auditorium that day. So let's say it's two, $300. They take that two or $300 and they find someone with a need whether it be in the community, whether it be inside the church, whether it be a friend or a family member. And what they do is they take those funds and they use it to bless that person's life. And then what they do is they tell a story about it on Sunday morning. And you'd be surprised how that changes the life of people. There's something about generosity that helps us to become the salt and the light, helps us to become more salty and shiny. What's another way that we can become more salty and shiny? Volunteer volunteer. You know, the church is a volunteer army. That's right. It's a volunteer army. And the Lord loves when you volunteer and give up your time to do something for somebody else. And we have all kinds of opportunities to volunteer our time. And I know many of you are busy, you're working, I completely understand it, but there's all kinds of different opportunities to volunteer this year. And I would really encourage you, if you haven't volunteered, whether it be a ministry at church, whether it be some kind of social justice project, I would really encourage you to volunteer. Go to a women's shelter, go down to City of Children, go down to Mexico, volunteer for Comfort Cafe, step up to teach a class. God wants that for you. And what you, when you do that, you, the Lord is just pleased and you bless people's lives. And then lastly, uh, here's one that we talk about that I want to leave with you. It's called the Ministry of Presence. Have you ever heard of that? Ministry of Presence. A lot of times Jesus would show up. He wouldn't say much. He would show up. The ministry of presence is powerful when you show up and you're there. And that's why we talk about church attendance. That's why we talk about Hebrews, right? Not forsaking the assembly of ourselves together as a manner of such, but encouraging one another As we see the day approaching, there's something about the ministry of presence. Don't you feel good when the church building is full? You're like, wow, that was a good Sunday, right? Just because it's filled up. Just because there's somebody sitting next to you, worshiping alongside you. There's something about the ministry of presence that is powerful. There's something that feels so good when our Wednesday night Bible classes are packed. It feels good this morning. I got to peek into Amy's Bible class. I don't think she had a seat, right? Maybe one. It it looked good in there. It felt good. There's something about the ministry of presence of just being there that speaks volumes. You know, a lot of times there's people that you encounter that just need you there. They just need you there. You don't have to say much all you need to do is just smile and give a pat on the back, maybe say one kind word. And that's what we see from Jesus, the ministry of presence. And we really struggle with that down in this region. And let me tell you why, because we're so, so busy. I get it. But if you can just carve out a little bit of your time to be present with someone who is hurting, be present with someone who's going through something, to volunteer. I guarantee you the Lord will be be excited and you'll you'll, you'll provide blessings for people that you encounter. So by way of invitation this morning, we have a song selected. As we look at Jesus' words on the Sermon on the Mount, he tells us to be salt of the earth and light of the world. And this morning I gave you some principles, some ideas on how that we can accomplish that goal and that mission and purpose. And these words of Jesus are very heavy. They're difficult. But if we want to be true disciples, we want to make the Lord happy, we want to do what he wants us to do, we've got to make sure we follow some of these principles. So maybe this morning there's someone here who's been falling short in this area. Maybe you've lost your saltiness just a little bit. Maybe your light has been dim because of things that you've been encountering, hardships that you've been going through. The church is here to encourage you, to lift you up, to build you up. We'll pray with you and pray for you so that you can get on the right track. Maybe there's someone here this morning that is not a Christian. Jesus came to give you an abundant life. He came to save you of your sins. He came to give you a hope of glory in heaven one day when this world ends and our life is over. If you're not a Christian, you ought to become a Christian today. And you can do that by repenting of your sins, confessing him as Lord and Savior, and being baptized in water and added to the church. So if there's anyone here this morning with a need, we invite you to come together while we stand and sing the song of invitation.